Yeah, you have no idea if you haven't ever publicly spoke the pressure it is. One, just to speak, and then all of a sudden you're crying, and then you're trying to hold yourself together and be a man and all that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> welcome to our uh, Christmas at Calvary uh, service. I have this, the unique honor to just talk to you this morning about the birth of our Savior, about this gift. You're going to keep hearing that vernacular thrown around quite a bit this morning. Um, I want to read from Luke chapter 2. I thought the girls did such a phenomenal job this morning reading. Uh, yeah, give it up for them as well. And I want to kind of continue where they kind of left off in Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 25. Um, and then, uh, but before I do that, I just kind of want to say, I sat up last night, not too late, because I'm on the inside, I'm like 48, um, and I go to bed by 9 o'clock, no questions asked. Um, uh, but last night I couldn't fall asleep because I've got to turn my sound machine on. It's like, oh my gosh, I am just, I am, I'm like a, I'm like a poodle, like a really high maintenance poodle. And I have to have everything right, temperature right, sound machine on. Um, but I was wrestling last night, and, and this is obviously a sermon. We're going to dive into the context of what we're talking about. We're going to pray. We're going to read scripture, all of that. But, but the takeaway I'd hope that we'd all have is that we would just pause in this moment and on this Sunday. For anything like me, literally every single night for the next like nine or ten days, there's something Christmas themed. There's Christmas carnivals, work Christmas parties, families coming in town, that side of the family's coming over. You know, all of that stuff's going on, and we are about like at the calm before the storm, if you're anything like my family. And so I wanted to read from Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the Messiah. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents, Joseph and Mary, brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. A better way to translate, translate that is, for my eyes have seen the instrument of your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gift that is Jesus the most unexpected way to manifest yourself, Lord. We just lift him up above every name, above every circumstance that we may be facing as individuals and as a community. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. I, as I was kind of thinking about this, we were talking about you know, it being the greatest gift, and I began to get my mind around gifts, and, and I am a, I'm a sucker for Christmas. I assume, like everyone's like, oh, do you put it up before Thanksgiving or after Thanksgiving? I'm like, July 5th, let's put up the Christmas tree. I absolutely, like I am a sucker. 
Christmas movies. Me and my daughter have watched uh, the newest Grinch Stole Christmas three times, I think now. Then they watch, like I just, I will pause everything for Christmas. And I was thinking about gifts and gifts are so often so wrapped up in the idea of nostalgia and making a Christmas list. And yes, I'm 32 and I still have a Christmas list that I make sure it gets circulated on the rest of my family. And my wife can attest to that. I still make a Christmas list. And, but I began to think about this idea of a gift. And there's certain kinds of gifts that aren't just completely wrapped in nostalgia and joy, but sometimes there are gifts that ask something of us. Sometimes there are gifts that ask us to make an admission of ourselves or to maybe admit something about this we don't want to admit. I was kind of racking my brain to how to articulate this. I remember when I was about, I don't know, 20 years old, I was in school and no one told me about this thing called the freshman 15. And that is where your metabolism slows down and you're used to just eating Hot Pockets and pizza rolls and, and bagel bites all the time. And then all of a sudden, your metabolism slows down and you just start gaining weight. If you are about 18, 19 years old, I am warning you now, it's going to happen to you. And I remember not thinking, I'm like, you know, like, you gotta go through like that. No, I'm not gaining weight kind of uh, idea. And then I remember I had a friend who worked at the Apple store. And those that don't know, every season they come out with these limited colors that are like uh, styles of t-shirts and jackets and hoodies. And I, I called up my friend like, hey, is there any way you can get a hold of me? Get a hold of these for me. And he said, yep, you got it. And I said, okay, he's got it. Here's my address to take care of. And I waited weeks. Uh, I think it was literally about a couple weeks I'd waited for this package to come into the mail. And then I remember opening up so excited. And I remember pulling out that first t-shirt. Now, let me pause there. I'm a sit somewhere about like a medium or a large size t-shirt or, or sweatshirt or whatever. And I remember pulling the t-shirt out and it said extra large on it. And I'm like, oh, surely there's a mistake. So I texted my friend right away. I'm like, hey, did you send me the wrong box? Or you just like have this black market for Apple t-shirts that you're just sending out, send to the wrong customer? He goes, no, 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 it's right. I said, it says extra large. He's like, yep, yeah, I know. He goes, I just, I noticed on Facebook your face started looking a little round and I thought this would fit. <laughs> to say it hit me right in like the pride button would be an understatement. But there's gifts sometimes that ask something of us. To admit things about us we don't necessarily readily want to admit. And when we talk about the gift of the Savior being born, there has never been a gift on the face of the earth in the history of humanity that has made you and I admit things about us that we never wanted to before. There has never been a gift offered to you and I that makes us swallow our pride more. Because the honest truth is, is when we look at what this incarnation means, the birth of the Savior means on Christmas, it means that God loved us so much that he understood that nothing less than the sacrifice of the Son of God himself could save us. The Christmas story is so much more than a cute baby being born in a manger. It is not another self-help program. It is not another good idea. But it is us coming to the end of ourselves and making us understand that ultimately we need to give up control of our lives and surrender to God and his beautiful plan. No matter how unexpected or underwhelming it might be, I chose this portion of scripture because we have Simeon. He's a picture of Israel in this moment. And he has this promise of God on his life that before he would die, he would see the Messiah. He would witness with his own eyes the Messiah, the Savior, the one that he heard his fathers and his grandfathers and his great-great-grandfathers talk about. 
We have to understand something. There is this deep thing that's going on that, that we have to understand the context of everything that's going on in this and that at this time, this is the 400 years of silence. The prophet Malachi, 400 years before this story, he gives a message that God was going to return to bring the kingdom of God and heaven with him. And he was going to restore what was lost in the Garden of Eden. So we have this moment where we have Mary. Best estimate, she's 13 or 14 years old. She's very young. She's not yet married to Joseph. On top of that, she's a woman in her culture. And I, this is not how I feel. But this is just a statement of fact. Is that at this time, her testimony, her word, would not be seen as valid. Meaning, if Mary had witnessed a crime or something happened in her community, in her society, they would not be able to use her account to prosecute because women were seen as secondary, less than. So Mary in this moment has everything going against her. And we have Simeon. It says that he was moved by the Holy Spirit and he had been searching, maybe looking for every noble moment, every noble man, every extravagant situation. And it just so speaks to me how sometimes we can miss the very thing that God is doing if we don't look low enough. If we don't look for the simple, if we don't look for the quiet, it so speaks of Christ's greatness and that Christ's greatness is not revealed in the height of his power and authority necessarily, but it is revealed in how far down he came to love us. This is not how I would have shown up. If I was to, do, if I was to wage war against sin, against the principalities of the air, if I was to fight the, the cancer known as sin on the earth, I would not have shown up as a vulnerable baby. Yet this is how God chooses to reveal himself. And Simeon, he sees this family, he sees this child, he says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. And this phrase right here, he looks to me, he says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That phrase, a sword will pierce through your own soul. It has, from what I understand and what I've read and, and studied, that this has a couple of implications. One, this beautiful gift, that being the very peace and personification of Christ, it has the potential to put you at odds with the world around you. Like I had sort of said that Mary, by holding on to this, by saying in this moment of silence, no prophets are being used, no kings are being used to propel Israel forward, yet she comes by this young girl and says that the Holy Spirit has supernaturally come upon me and I am going to give birth to the Savior. That is no easy task. And what I love most about this is in Luke chapter one, the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and he says, do not be afraid for you have found favor with God. How many know sometimes the favor of God means forsaking the favor of man? Sometimes pursuing the favor of God in our life and what he wants to do means surrendering my plans and how I think I have it wrapped up in my brain, how I think I know it's gonna go, and I just trust him and move along with what he's doing. Often favor looks very different from our side of eternity. And I just wanted to encourage you this morning that if you love Jesus, you have him in your life, a sword will pierce through your heart as well. 
And I don't mean that as a way of glorifying suffering. Lord, no, I, I, please never hear me say that. But I, I'm always stuck on 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. It says, Beloved, do not be, surpri- be surprised at the fiery trials when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. How many know something strange was happening to Mary in this moment? And she had to embrace what God had for her and forsake what man would think of her. If I can say humbly enough, there has to be the inner conflict of surrender to have the peace of Christ. Not only does it bring conflict amongst people, but it brings conflict within people. I can remember when we were uh, living in California, we decided we wanted to have a baby, thought it was time to start a family. And we began to think through, my wife and I, that's who I'm looking at, <laughs> and uh, we began to think about what does that look like, you know, what, what, what's best for this child, what's best for us. We, had, we genuinely had plans of maybe never coming back to the Quad Cities, like that was genuinely our heart. We began about praying and, and, and all of that, and I remember just asking, Lord, Lord, what, like, how do I do this? How do I get my head around being a dad? And I remember I was in class, and I remember the Holy Spirit spoke to me so poignantly, and it was something along the Lord's of, don't let your ministry be more successful than your family. In other words, don't let image become more successful than your character. Don't let image become more successful than your character. Mary had received a supernatural word from God. Now, I'm not saying we do things flippantly or just begin to embrace every supernatural thing that happens there. Test the spirits. Hear my heart on that. But sometimes God will call you to do things that do not make sense, that forsake a paycheck, that forsake what will be seen as wisdom of man, and we have to trust and embrace. Because just like a natural child, we chose to move back to the Quad Cities because it was more important to us that our child, who was now known as Francine Marie Tapio, it was important to us that she was around her grandparents and around her family and around a church community which we could give to her. We didn't have it all planned out. We didn't have it all figured out. But just like a natural child, our role when God births something into us We have to send our whole life on him. That's the call to Mary and to Joseph because if he is who he says he is, we have to surrender our whole life on him. It was a a theologian named J.C. Ryle who famously said, the child of God has two great marks about him, that he may be known for his inward warfare as well as by his inward peace. Let me say to you that when you embrace Christ, when this disruption seems to happen in our lives that there are so many struggles that are ended. Identity, passions and and purpose in life, especially passions that can withstand suffering. But let me just give again an honest idea of what this looks like, that it's not all roses and, and sunshine following Christ, that there are many struggles that come with surrendering him. The true peace of Christ does not avoid conflict. It actually embraces conflict and it comes through the inner conflict of surrender and repentance. This gift of peace is found in this baby. 
We will have many painful struggles in the Christian life. I'm not denying that. We may wait years, even decades from a promise from God like Simeon, but one day, maybe even a normal day, you may be interrupted by the favor of God like Mary. And he asks you to forsake your plans and embrace what he's doing in your life. This is perhaps what Simeon saw when he literally held the Prince of Peace in his hand. And he says, for my eyes have seen the instrument of your salvation. He did not say part of your salvation. This baby Jesus is the chosen instrument of salvation for you and for I and all of humanity. We have to trust, rest, and rely that Christ and who he is is totally sufficient. True peace, despite our conflicts, is that salvation is Jesus Christ plus nothing and finding our rest for our souls in him. I was joking around with uh, Ben Engel about every, I don't know if anyone's noticed, every sermon I've gotten the opportunity to preach, I always use a C.S. Lewis quote, and I had been okay, and I was like, well, let's see what C.S. Lewis has to say on the subject, and I came across something, so five for five. Um, (laughs) And I just thought it so beautifully articulated this gift, and I, I read a quote like this, and it's like, how do you not surrender to a God that manifests himself like this. C.S. Lewis says, we catch sight of a new key principle. The power of the higher, just in so far as it is truly higher, to come down. The power of the greater, to include the lesser. Everywhere the great enters the little, its power to do so is almost the test of its greatness. In the Christian story, God comes down, down from the heights of absolute being into time and space, down into humanity, further still, in the womb, in the ancient and pre-human phases of life, down to the very roots and seed of nature he has created. But he goes down to come up again and to bring the whole world up with him. One may think of a diver glancing in midair, then gone with a splash, vanished, rushing down through green and warm water into black and cold water, down through increasing pressure in the death-like region of ooze and slime and old decay. Then up again, back to color and light, his lungs almost bursting till suddenly he breaks the surface again, holding in his hands the dripping, precious thing that he went down to recover. I don't claim to quite understand it. But there is something about us, about his creation that is so precious to him. And the I feel the only appropriate response is to choose what Mary did and surrender. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for your choice to come in the form of a vulnerable, helpless baby that we might not have understood it and maybe there's even parts of it we still don't understand but that's the beauty and the mystery of the gospel is that we don't have to understand every part of it but we just have to embrace Christ and surrender our life to him and so Father God I thank you for this free gift of grace and mercy on our life manifested in this child who would eventually become the one who was hung on a cross for every sin So, Lord Jesus, we give you this morning and ask that you would speak to every heart and every mind, Lord. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen.